Has anyone ever done anything to you that has left you like steaming hot? You're like mad at that person. Maybe they said something or they did something. Maybe they did something behind your back and you're just like super mad with them and you just can't get away from it. You know, everyone in life encounters a time when someone says, does, or implies something that leaves a nasty taste in our mouths. For some, it may be a small thing that we just can't get rid of. Maybe somebody at one point said something that was unkind to you or called you by a name that you did not appreciate. Maybe somebody went behind your back or gossiped about you and it's just left you with this nasty taste in your mouth. For some of you, it may be something that's a lot bigger in your life and it's really affected your life. Maybe for some of you, you've, you've gone through something horrific, like maybe you've, someone has, 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 has missed, uh, you, you've lost the trust of somebody or someone has betrayed you or maybe someone has abused you. And you, you're living this life and you've got this thing in the back of your heart, in the back of your mind, and you know that it just eats away at you and you can't get rid of it. Well, Joseph had one of these encounters, and we've been going through the life of Joseph, and we've seen lots of things that Joseph has been through in his life, but Joseph had one of these encounters when he was 17 years old. His brothers had left him to die, and they had taken his life away from him, taken his identity, and they had sold him into slavery. Now, I'm thinking to myself, how does anybody ever get away from that? How does anyone ever forget that and move on in their life? If your brothers or maybe your sister or maybe a family member, but people that you're close to, they try to take away your life from you. How do you ever get away from that? How do you, how do you forgive them? How do you carry on in your life? How do you not want to plan your revenge and get back at them when you meet them again? And Joseph had one of these encounters in his life. And so when we got to the point in Joseph's life, and we finished it off last week, where Joseph had been in prison for some say seven years. And, and Pharaoh had had a dream. No one could interpret this dream. And then Joseph comes along and interprets the dream. And Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that Pharaoh says, okay, you are now going to be the governor of Egypt. You are going to help us because the dream was this, that there were going to be seven years when there's lots of prosperity, there's lots of crops, there's lot, everyone's got money, everyone's going out to eat and having a great time, buying new cars, new homes, and then there's going to be seven years where suddenly recession hits, there's going to be famine, and you're not even going to even have enough food to put on your table. And so what Pharaoh said to, to Joseph, he says, I want you to devise a plan of what we can do. So, so Joseph went to work, and during the good years, he told everybody, okay, we're going to tax you one-fifth of the crops that you produce. One-fifth of those crops, you are to bring them to Pharaoh, and we're going to keep them in Pharaoh's storehouses. So for seven years, everybody, 20% of, that's like one-fifth, right? 20%, yeah, I got my math right. 20% of people's income they brought to Pharaoh. I think those taxes are a little bit better than Maryland taxes, right? You know? So one-fifth came into Pharaoh's storehouses. 
And then like a flip of the switch, after seven years, suddenly famine hits. And suddenly nobody has enough. Suddenly recession has come. People can't make payments on their home or their cars. Nobody, people are out of work. The ground is just, just bare and barren and no crops are being produced. And this is where Joseph starts to excel. And so Joseph's plan goes to action. And for two years, Joseph starts selling crops to the people of Egypt. And in fact, they actually expanded it more because the famine went not just in Egypt, but around and the surrounding areas. And they started selling their crops and their food. And so Joseph was about 30 years old when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Seven good years made him 37. And two years later, so at 39 years old, he is sitting there in his office And suddenly he watches as his brothers walk into Egypt. The guys who had left him for dead, the ones who had stabbed him in the back, suddenly walk into Egypt. Their father had sent them because the famine had hit where they they lived. They had nothing left. They had no food. They were going to die. So his father told his brothers, go to Egypt to see if you can buy any food. And now Joseph sees his brothers come to Egypt. Now Joseph had changed because the last time they'd seen Joseph he was about 17 years old. Now he was about 39 years old so he's probably changed quite a bit. Before he probably couldn't even grow a beard. Now he's got a big old beard. Maybe before you know he probably was like scrawny and at 39 you know your belly starts filling out a little bit at 39. I can testify to that. And then this is what happened. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. And in Genesis chapter 42 and verse 6, this is what it says. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. So they just didn't go to some average person. The brothers came straight to Joseph, who was the governor of Egypt. It says, when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Now, his brothers did not recognize him, but now they've come and they've bowed before Joseph. Now, let us go back to Joseph at 17 years old. Joseph at 17 years old had a dream, and the dream was this, that one day his fathers and his brothers would bow before him. Now at 39, the dream is being fulfilled. The dream is being fulfilled. Let me just say before we move on, if God has given you a dream, it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. But if God has given you a dream, it will happen. But there's a lot of stuff that has to happen between God giving you a dream and seeing your dream fulfilled. And if you can stay the race, stay the course, God will do incredible things in your life. But for the moment, let's look at this. So the brothers have come and now bowed before Joseph. Joseph is now in a position where he could destroy his brothers. He could get his own back on his brothers. He could get revenge on his brothers. Maybe for all the years that Joseph was in slavery and then Joseph was in prison, he could have planned and plotted for the day when he would meet his brothers again. And nobody would have blamed Joseph if he had taken his revenge on his brothers. I don't know about you. I wouldn't have blamed him, would you? 
I mean, they put him in a pit. They sold him to slavery. They took away his identity, all his rights. I would not blame Joseph if Joseph says, ha, you're getting nothing. But that's not what Joseph did. And this morning, we're going to deal with the last dream killer of this series. And it's a dream killer that plans and plots in our mind. It leaves us with a nasty taste in our mouths that sometimes we can't get away from. It makes us do things that sometimes we don't even think we're capable of doing. And I call this dream killer the destruction of bitterness. The destruction of bitterness. The saying goes, a rotten apple spoils the barrel. And once rot sets in, it has to be dealt with. You know, if you've got a little bit of mold in your house, and the conditions are right, and you have a little bit of water, and you get a little bit of dust, then suddenly that mold starts to spread. And some of you, if you pulled back the, your walls and take the drywall down, and you saw what was in your house, you'd be horrified. But most of it's contained. But if the conditions are right, that mold will spread throughout that whole house. And without you even knowing it, it could destroy your house. And bitterness is very similar. For the destruction of bitterness is a silent dream killer. And before long, what started as a little grievance suddenly becomes life crippling. You see, the destruction of bitterness could have killed Joseph's dream. Right as Joseph's dream is being played out. And that's often how bitterness surfaces in our lives. When there is a choice, when there is a chance to move on and walk in the plans that God has for you, suddenly bitterness will stop us in our tracks. And bitterness has a track record of being a dream killer. But you know, Joseph didn't let bitterness affect his dream. In fact, Joseph was able to get over bitterness and see his dream fulfilled. And I want to know why, how, how did Joseph do that? Well, this morning I want us to take a look at three things that will help us identify how Joseph got over bitterness and how Joseph was able to finally fulfill his dream. And the very first thing is this, Joseph was a man of compassion. He was a man of compassion. Look at this. What happened, Joseph, basically, he kind of played with his brothers a little bit. They didn't even know who he was. And they, then they put, he put him in prison for a couple of days. You know, he's like, hey, you know, you hurt me. I'm going to, like, hurt you a little bit, but not too bad. And then he said to them, he says, do you have another brother? And they said, yes. Because all the, brother, all the brothers came except for one brother called Benjamin. And so he told them, he says, go back and get your other brother. And so he kept one of the brothers in prison. And so they went back and there was this to do with their father. Because the father didn't want Benjamin to go to Egypt. But eventually he let Benjamin go. And Benjamin comes to Egypt. And so now all 11 brothers are now in the same room. And look at this. Genesis chapter 43. And verse 30. It says, so they've all been brought into one room. It says, then Joseph hurried away from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brothers. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. 
After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. And then in Genesis chapter 43, sorry, 45, and verse 1 to 4, it says this. Joseph could uh, could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. So this guy was like like, like just crying. He didn't have tears in his eyes. He was wailing like a baby. And then he says this in verse 3. I am Joseph. He said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing in front of them. Please come closer, Joseph said to them. And so they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. What we notice about Joseph here, Joseph suddenly starts to weep and to cry. And we look at, we look at Joseph's life from the moment he, he was sold into slavery to this moment. Joseph was a man who helped people. In fact, Joseph was a man of compassion. He always saw the good in people, not the bad. And when you see others, maybe you see people who once hurt you. Do you focus on the things that they've done wrong? Do you focus on their bad, their transgressions? Or do you see the potential that they have and what they could become? See, when Joseph had his reunion with his brothers, he was now in a position where he could either lift them up or push them down. And Joseph chose to lift them up. He chose to help them. And he chose to bless his brothers. Joseph not only gave these men supplies so that they could go home and have enough food to eat. In fact, the Bible tells us that Joseph like, loaded their donkeys with so much stuff that they could ha- the donkeys could hardly walk. And then Pharaoh came out and gave them more and more. They had more than anybody else. And Joseph went above and beyond To help his brothers. In fact we see later on in the story. That Joseph gave his brothers. A piece of land that they could live on. And that they could. Farm the land. So that they could have food in the future. He gave them jobs. He gave them a place to live. I mean no one asked Joseph for that. All they asked was food. But Joseph went above and beyond. To help them. You know these are the characteristics of Jesus. The Bible says that many times that Jesus looked upon people with compassion. He even helped those who opposed him. You know, for compassion makes it about helping others and not about you. It makes it about helping others and not about you. And the best way to overcome bitterness is to use your power to help others. For bitterness will destroy your heart. And I tell you again, bitterness will destroy your heart. But compassion will revive your heart. You know, when my father-in-law and my mother-in-law hooked up and got married, 
he was from a poor area in Nicaragua, and she was from a rich family in Nicaragua. She was Catholic. He was once a Protestant who now was living a, a life of whatever he wanted to do. My mother-in-law's mother was against the marriage. In fact, she did not like my father-in-law at all. And so my father-in-law, he had a choice. He could keep the fight going and be a, a battle at loggerheads, you know, head to head with his mother-in-law all the time. Or he could choose to be the better man and try to repair the damage. My, my mother-in-law's mother didn't want anything to do with my father-in-law. But you know what my father-in-law did? He started being like extra nice. And guys, let me just warn you. Be extra nice to your mother-in-law. It helps you. <laughs> I'm like extra nice because I like hardly speak the same language as my mother-in-law. So we have the best relationship. It's great. I have no idea what Raquel's telling her. I don't know. But she smiles at me a lot anyway. But anyway. So... He started being extra nice. He would go out of his way. He would bring her flowers. He would cook things for her. He would, he would take her for a ride if she needed to go anywhere. And he started being really, really, like, nice. And she still didn't like him. And weeks and months passed, and she would still say nasty things to him, say that she, he wasn't good enough for her daughter. But you know what? Eventually, she started to turn. And eventually, she started to see that he was a good man. And at the end of her life, on her deathbed, the last person that she wanted to see was not my mother-in-law, not her other family members. It was my father-in-law. Because their relationship had turned. But it was, it was all because my father-in-law chose to become someone who was not bitter, but he looked on her in compassion. And he tried to change that relationship. And you know what? Joseph, and I honestly believe this. I think Joseph, when he saw his brothers, I don't think Joseph felt sorry for, the, for his brothers. They'd hurt him. You know, and I'm sure Joseph was like, oh, what shall I do? I mean, which one shall I punch the first? You know, I mean, you know, he's thinking, what can I do to these guys? But I do believe that Joseph was moved by love. And so he gave them a helping hand. And there are some people who, in your life, they've hurt you and they deserve to fall on hard times. They deserve bad things to happen to them because of the way that they have treated people. But it doesn't, and it doesn't mean that we have to feel sorry for them. But we need to let love move us in action to help them. This isn't about what they deserve. It's about fighting the bitterness that will destroy your heart. And compassion is the best antidote to this terrible disease called bitterness. Joseph was compassionate. The second thing that we find about Joseph, Joseph decided to see the bigger picture. He decided to see the bigger picture. Genesis 45 verse 5 to 11 tells us this. It says, Joseph says, but don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine 
that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here and not you. And he is one who has made me and, uh, and sorry, and God has sent me here uh, to, to help, uh, send me here, not you. And he is the one who has made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the, in the region of Goshen, and there you will be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and everything your own, uh, you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead. Otherwise, you and your household and all your animals will starve. And then a little later, we see in Genesis 47 and verse 23 to 25, now, the people of Egypt are talking to Joseph. And this is what it says. It says, then Joseph said to the people, look, today I've brought you, and your, uh, brought you and your land for Pharaoh. I will provide you with seed so you can plant your fields. Then when you harvest it, one-fifth of your crops will belong to Pharaoh. You may keep the remaining four-fifths as seed of your fields and as food for you and your households and your little ones. Then he says this. It says, you have saved our lives, the people exclaimed. May it please you and my Lord and let us be Pharaoh's servants. So you see here, Joseph is now saying to his brothers, you may have done this, but it, it wasn't about you. God had this plan all along. God was bringing me to this place to save a nation. To save my family. And then all the people are coming and saying, Joseph, you have saved us. You see, Joseph didn't focus on the bad that has happened to him. Instead, he focused on the reason why he went through what he did. You know, Romans 8 tells us this, the Apostle Paul. He says that all things work together for good to, the, to love God and are called according to God's purposes. And this is what Joseph testified to. Even though he had been through hell and back, he realized that God had a plan for God used what was destructive to bring life. You know, we announced to you guys last week some pretty good news after church. But for nine years, my wife and myself have asked the question, why? Why can't we have children? And we've asked this question time and time again. And there's been times I've been pretty angry with God. And then, about a year and a half ago, we decided, okay, we're going to have one more chance of having a baby, and we're going to go through fertility treatments. We went through these treatments, and they're invasive, they're horrible, I'd never recommend them at all, because they are just, they leave you, like, emotionally spent. And we went through these fertility treatments, and we were brokenhearted because they did not work. And it led us to the place where we were probably the lowest point in our lives, and we looked to God. And suddenly God showed up in just an incredible way. And God started to heal our hearts, heal our hurts, heal the things that we had been going through, repair some things in our marriage even as a result of not being able to have children. And then God spoke to us and he says, I'm enough for you. 
And we suddenly got to the place where we realized that even if we couldn't have children, God would be enough. And then God spoke to Raquel. And God says, I want you to tell your story. I want you to tell your story about how you can't have children that we've been through infertility and the heartbreak that it's brought. So Raquel started this blog and, you know, not knowing the response that she would get. And she started telling her story and the response was overwhelming. People who had been through a similar thing who had never been able to, to, to share the pain that they had been going through, suddenly had a place that they could share their pain. And we started finding out there were so many people who were living lives with so many hurts because they couldn't have children. And so Raquel shared a story, and lots of people started to hear about it. And then last week, we told many of you that we're having a baby. April of 2015. It's a miracle. Trust me, it is a miracle. And I believe that God still works in miracles. So I told my parents before, I told them, I was like, do you still believe in miracles? You know, that's why I told them, because this is a miracle. But the whole reason for this whole thing, I believe, is so that people can see that there is hope in pain. This week, Raquel blogged about it, and I got told by a lady who, who I work with, and she came to me and she said, she said, you know, I, I sent this blog to my daughter who had been through a similar situation. And then she's got a friend who is going through the pain of not being able to have children. And she told me, she sent her the blog, and she started to weep, and she started to cry right as she started reading it. And this is what she said. She says, I'm so thankful that I've read this blog because I know there's hope. And you know, sometimes you go through situations in life so you can help other people find hope. You go through hard times, bad times in your life that we don't understand. We're like, God, what are you doing in our lives? Why is why is this person hurt us? Why is this person treated us like this? Why have we gone through this situation? But yet I've realized that God uses anything and everything to position us for his purposes and his plans. He uses the bad so that we become better, not bitter. Joseph at 17 would have never seen the bigger picture. But now at 39, he's witnessed all that God has orchestrated. And now he sees the bigger picture that God was in it from the beginning. And sometimes we have to look at the whole picture and not just focus on the little blip on the map that we can find so hard to get away from. from. Joseph focused on the whole picture. And then finally this morning, very quickly, Joseph lived his life looking forward and not looking back. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15. Joseph's father, Jacob, has just died. And now his brothers are kind of trembling a little bit. They're not sure what's going to happen. And it says, I'll start at verse 14. It says, after burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But then verse 15, it says, but now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now, Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, his brother said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers 
for the great wrong that they did. For their sin in treating you is so cruelly. So we, the servants of God and of your father, beg you to forgive us of our sins. Then Joseph received the message and he broke down and he wept. This is what he said. Then his brothers came and threw themselves before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended me harm, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So we reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Joseph was a man who looked forward. He didn't turn back. And when you have the right and the ability to get back at somebody, do you? Do you seek revenge? Even when you've lived your dream, or maybe you're living your dream right now, bitterness will try to cause you to fail at the final hurdle. You know, there's nothing worse than an older, bitter person. Have you ever met a person who's older and they're bitter? I mean, there's nothing worse than an older, bitter person. You know, for it's not how you start that matters, but it's how you finish. And a dream from God is not your dream to hold on to. But in fact, it's a dream to pass on. This dream of Generation Church that we started four years ago isn't my dream. It isn't the leadership team's dream. It isn't our dream. It's God's dream. And one day God will ask us to pass this dream on. For now we're the guardians of this dream. That, that God is building this church. But there is a generation that's coming up behind us. That we're going to have to pass this dream on to. And I would hate us to fail at the final hurdle. Because bitterness gets into our lives. And Joseph's dream was not just for Joseph. It was the plan to save a nation. Who would one day give birth to the Messiah. Imagine if Joseph had let bitterness get to him. Then the nation of Israel would have never existed and Jesus would have never been born. Look what bitterness could have done. Joseph is the perfect example for the dreamer. He's an example for all of us. He looked forward instead of turning back. Paul says, one, one time he says, I forget what lies behind and I press on. And that's what Joseph did. He pressed on. His brothers lived their entire lives in regret, always looking over their shoulders. They couldn't move on. But Joseph could move on because Joseph looked straight ahead instead of looking back. And the only thing that you can do with your past is to learn from your past. When you start to look back, it stops your progress. Look what happened to Lot's wife when she looked back. The Bible says Lot's wife looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah as fire rained down from them and she turned into a pillar of salt. It's time to let bygones be bygones and move on. When you hold a grudge, 
when you let the past haunt you today, then bitterness will set in. It will spread and it will ultimately kill the dream God has for you. But God's got a plan for your life. And if you're dealing with bitterness today, I urge you, it's time to forgive. It's time to forget and it's time to move on. It's time to forgive that family member. It's time to forgive that abuser. It's time to forgive that old friend. It's time to forgive that competitor. Forgive the one who hurt you and said all the bad things against you. For bitterness will only hurt you, but forgiveness will free you. Start by becoming more compassionate to others, to the people who have hurt you. See the bigger picture about what God is doing and start to move forward. For Jesus says that we are to love our enemies. Not because they deserve it, but because God has a plan for your life. An incredible plan for your life that you could not even dream of. And you don't want to let bitterness destroy it. It's time to forgive. It's time to forget. And it's time to move on.